Our reading this morning will be from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. I'll be reading from the ESV. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So I heard about a man who received a parrot as a gift on one occasion. And the parrot was able to, uh, to speak, to, to say a lot of words in English. But the parrot had a really negative attitude and an even worse vocabulary. Every word of the bird's mouth was rude, condescending, and laced with profanity. And the man tried to change the bird's attitude and vocabulary. He tried to only speak uplifting words and positive words and clean words. He was very careful about what TV shows he would watch or what music he would listen to, all in hopes that the bird would pick up on the type of language and the, the attitude that was permeating his life. But the bird never did. And one day the man just snapped out of frustration. It was one of those occasions where the, where the, bo- the bird just led into a, a, a tirade of rude, condescending, and vulgar language, and the man grabbed the bird and stuffed him in the freezer. For a few seconds, the parrot was in there squawking and screeching and fluttering about, and then finally it stopped. Now, the bird was in there for less than 30 seconds, but the man got worried that maybe he he had left him in there so long that the bird was going to be irreparably harmed. So he flew the freezer door open, and there was the bird. The man stuck his hand out, and the bird calmly walked out onto his hand. And the bird said, I'm sorry for all those things I said to you. I will stop using such language, and from this day forward, I will be a good little bird. And the man was stunned at the change in the bird's attitude. And before he could ask the bird what happened, what made the bird change his mind, the bird said, may I ask what happened to that turkey? I've told that one before, but it is one of my all-time favorite jokes. And with that bit of turkey humor, I believe we're now prepared to enter Thanksgiving week, right? Now, Thanksgiving holiday is a, not a biblically commanded holiday, but the concept underlying it does have biblical roots. In Abraham Lincoln's 1863 proclamation, which made Thanksgiving a national holiday, he said that all blessings are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. 
even though Thanksgiving is a, a federal holiday, it gets ignored more and more every year. Just go to Target or Walmart, Hobby Lobby, or any big box store, and you'll see an instant conversion from Halloween to Christmas, sometime in mid-July. From a retail standpoint, it's, it's as if Thanksgiving doesn't exist. And while I'm not too concerned about the Thanksgiving holiday getting overlooked, I, I am concerned about whether or not Thanksgiving is ignored as a part of our expression of faith. And unfortunately, there is a story in the life of Jesus that illustrates how easy it is for us to skip Thanksgiving. And so this morning, we're going to take a break from our You Are More series and take a moment to examine that story in Scripture so that we might appreciate the importance of gratitude and hopefully never be guilty of skipping Thanksgiving ourselves. So if you aren't there already, turn with us to Luke chapter 17, to the text that was read just a moment ago. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. In this passage, Jesus comes in contact with a colony of lepers. Ten men who contracted the disease of leprosy at some point in their past. And because of their disease, these ten men had been isolated from social contact and excluded from participation in religious activities at the temple. Such isolation and exclusion had been enforced in their lives from the day they contracted this disease until that point. So ultimately, they were impoverished social outcasts because of leprosy. Somehow they knew about Jesus, though. Somehow they had heard about him and knew he was approaching. Somehow they knew that he had the ability to cure their disease. So as they stood at a distance, which was required by the law, they called out to Jesus and said, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus did. Now, he didn't heal them on the spot. Instead, he simply told them to go and show yourselves to the priests there in verse 14 of Luke chapter 17. That was the requirement under Mosaic law for them to be pronounced clean. Because the priest functioned kind of like a health inspector. And he was the only one in Israel who could pronounce someone cured of leprosy, according to Leviticus chapter 13. So Jesus instructs these men who have leprosy to head to the temple and show themselves to the priest. But they aren't cured of their leprosy yet. See, when Jesus ordered them to go to the priest, he was ordering them to take a step of faith. He was saying, make your way to the priest if you believe that I can heal you. And that's what they did. This is ultimately a story that has an amazing act of faith built into it. When the lepers began their journey to the temple, they still had leprosy. Their willingness to go showed that they had faith in Jesus. 
They trusted his words without first seeing the evidence of his work. And as they were en route to the priest, that leprosy suddenly disappeared. Now, this gets to the crux of the story for you and I today. See, when Jesus healed these men, he not only restored their health, but he restored their lives. They could return home to their their family. They could stop living outside of town. They could go back to their jobs and stop begging. They could go back to the temple and engage in worship of God, offer sacrifices like they're commanded to do, and participate in the holy feasts that Mosaic Law tells them to participate in. Their lives are completely restored at this point. And one would assume that such a blessing would evoke gratitude from these men. I mean, earlier in his ministry, <coughs> excuse me, earlier in his ministry, Jesus healed one single leper, just one leper. And that one leper, upon being healed, incessantly talked about Jesus to the point that Jesus could no longer enter cities because his reputation had grown that much from one guy's talking about him. But on this occasion, there's ten lepers healed. And only one returned to give thanks. Only one was so overwhelmed with gratitude that he changed course to find Jesus and say thank you. This morning, I want us to consider what we can learn about gratitude, about thanksgiving, from a story in which 90% of the people skipped thanksgiving. And so, let's begin with this. The first thing we can learn from this story about Thanksgiving is that expressing gratitude to God must take precedence. Expressing gratitude to God must take precedence. See, the first thing this one leper does once he realized that he was healed is he returned to show gratitude. Luke chapter 17, verse 15 and 16 says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. This guy stopped what he was doing to prioritize gratitude. We don't know how far away they had gotten from Jesus before that leprosy left them. We don't know how far of a journey back to Jesus it was for this one guy. We just know that whatever he was in the midst of doing, wherever he was, he chose to return to Jesus and make that the top priority in the moment. And you can't help but wonder, why didn't the other nine seek out Jesus to show their gratitude like this one? Based on the story, I don't believe it's because they did not understand the source of their healing since they recognized who Jesus was and demonstrated faith in his ability to heal them. They're the ones who asked Jesus to have mercy on them. So obviously, these other nine guys knew where their healing came from. See, I think they failed to show gratitude simply because it was not their top priority. Maybe their priority was in fulfilling Jesus' 
orders to show themselves to the priest. Maybe their priority was to reconnect with their family. Whatever their priority was, regardless of how appropriate it may have been, it prevented them from prioritizing an expression of gratitude to the one who blessed them in that moment. See, the lesson we should glean from this story, or a lesson we should glean from this story, is that we should prioritize showing gratitude because God deserves our gratitude. It's very easy for us to be in the midst of our blessings and to enjoy our blessings and to put off the expression of gratitude, to put off the thanksgiving. It's very easy for us to forget how important it is to be grateful and to express it in tangible ways. But the one leper, the one who's going to be praised in this story, did not hesitate to express gratitude. Why does God deserve our gratitude? Because he's the originator of every good and every perfect gift, to use the words of James chapter 1, verse 17. Now, if you turn over to the book of James, I think it's important to notice something James does theologically in the first chapter. In the first chapter of, of the book of James, James contrasts what God is the source of with what God is not the source of. So in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, you see what God is not the source of. James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. What James is doing before he gets to his main point in verse 17 is he's saying God is not the source of temptation. God is not the source of evil. God is not the source of sin. All those things connected with the fall, all those things that compromise mankind are not from God. He then continues his thought in verse 15, or in verse 16 through 18, I should say, where he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So after saying what God is not the source of, James turns around and says, but here is what he is the source of, and he's the source of everything that can be identified as good. Everything that is good and perfect is from God. That's the reason he deserves our gratitude. That's the reason he needs, we need to thank him. That's the reason thanksgiving matters. And because God is the source of all that is good, he deserves our gratitude. And that's why the Bible makes it very clear that showing gratitude is a responsibility we have. You can go to a passage like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 18, where Scripture says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The will of God 
the desire of God is for you to rejoice always, for you to pray without ceasing, and for you to give thanks in all circumstances. Are you fulfilling the will of God? That's the question that verse should make you ask. And then you can go to uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, which says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Everything you do should result in giving thanks to God the Father. You see, what those verses tell me is that not only does God deserve our gratitude, but He desires our gratitude. See, if you're not expressing gratitude, then you're withholding something from God that He deserves and He desires. And so, expressing gratitude to God must take precedence. But that's not the only thing we learn from this story in Luke chapter 17. The other thing we can learn is that if you do not express gratitude, then you do not possess gratitude. That might sound harsh, but think through it with me for a moment. If you do not express gratitude, then you do not possess gratitude. At least that's going to be the impression or the perception of the one who deserves your gratitude. What's the one thing you've got to do when you receive a wedding present or a graduation present? What's the one thing your parents are going to harp on you to do when you receive that present? It doesn't matter if it's graduation or wedding. Your parents are going to harp on you. Thank you cards. Thank you notes. I hated that part of the graduation time. Writing all those thank you notes. But the idea lying behind it is quite simple, right? If you do not express gratitude, then you do not possess gratitude. And we blow that up into a bigger picture with God. And think for a moment how Jesus reacted when only one leper returned to thank him. It's in Luke chapter 17, verse 17 and 18. This was Jesus' response. We're not ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? His words reveal appreciation for the leper who showed gratitude, who was not even a Jew, apparently. But his, his words also revealed disappointment in the lepers who did not return. Were the other nine lepers grateful that Jesus healed them? I would assume so. I would assume that, that one would have to be grateful in a situation like that where a dreaded disease that makes you a social outcast is remedied. But their failure to come back and express gratitude gave the impression that they did not appreciate what Jesus had done for them. And a lesson 
that we should glean from this story is that gratitude, much like love or faith, requires action in order to be authenticated. You can think about how James will say faith without works is dead. Well, guess what? Gratitude without expression is dead. Gratitude without some form of tangible expression isn't really gratitude. Because the one who should be the beneficiary of that gratitude never experiences it. You know, under Mosaic law, gratitude was shown to God through what was called the peace offerings. You can read about these offerings in Leviticus chapter 7, particularly verses 11 through 36. There are three subcategories of the peace offerings. There was the thank offering. And the purpose of this offering was to, uh, to, to render an expression of thanks for deliverance or for a blessing that had been granted by God. The caveat of this one was that you didn't make a vow prior to the blessing received or the deliverance received. And so God has blessed you or God has delivered you. You had no vow associated with it, so you're going to go make a thank offering. A second category in this chapter is called the votive offering. This was presented when a blessing or deliverance had been granted after a vow. So you go and make a vow to the Lord. We kind of alluded to vows in our roundtable recently with Jephthah. You make a vow. God fulfills the vow. And now you go and give a votive offering in response to God's blessing poured out on you. And then finally, there is a third category that appears in Leviticus chapter 7. It's called the free will offering. This was a, a, an offering made joyously and willingly presented to express a general thankfulness toward God. There's not something that, that uh, uh, there's not some uh, preceding event, some specific blessing or some specific deliverance necessary to evoke a free will offering. You just go and do this free will offering because you just want God to know you're thankful in general. Here's my point. Mosaic law prescribed thanksgiving. Mosaic law gave orders and commands on how you're going to thank God, how you're going to express gratitude to God. It was a requirement under Mosaic law that you're going to give thanks to God. When we think about the requirements of Mosaic law, we, we, we think about the, 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 the bigger things, the holy day observances the sacrifices for sins, the dietary restrictions. We don't think about the fact that they had prescribed directions on thanking God. But they did. And under the New Covenant, that sacrificial system, including these, these uh, peace offerings, is obsolete. But that does not mean that we no longer possess an avenue through which to show our gratitude. The New Testament identifies several activities through which we can demonstrate our gratitude to God. One of those is prayer. Paul indicated that thanksgiving should be an essential and frequent part of our prayer life. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, he said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul said, Continue steadfastly in prayer, 
being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So you can show your gratitude to God simply through your prayer life. But you can also show gratitude to God through song. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, we are instructed to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and to be thankful. Immediately after those instructions, Paul wrote about praising God. He said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. In fact, the author of Hebrews referred to praising God's song as a type of sacrifice. It's in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15 that he said, Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. You can also show and express gratitude to God by praising him. And you can show gratitude to God through giving. One thing we know is that God is honored when we give. Such is evident from Paul's instructions in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, where he said, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, a cheerful, willing giver brings joy to the heart of God. But if you look in the context of that passage, extending the verses out to verse 11 and 12, you'll see that Paul indicates what Paul indicates will be a result of such generosity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11 and 12, he said that one's generosity would produce thanksgiving to God. So not only is giving a means of participating in thanksgiving to God, it also is a means of producing thanksgiving to God from others. And the point is that whether you're looking at Mosaic Law or the New Covenant, God has identified for us the means through which we can express gratitude to Him. And it, that wasn't an exhaustive list. That was a, a, a simple hand-picked list. But what we need to understand is that God has told us ways in which we can express gratitude to Him. And our failure to do so speaks volumes. It indicates that we may not possess the gratitude that he desires or deserves. And one final thought is that the absence of gratitude is a hindrance to salvation. We don't think about that very often. But I want you to notice that when the leper returned to Jesus, that one leper returned, it resulted in Jesus saying, your faith has made you well. If you notice the footnote in, in the ESV or the New American Standard Version, it'll point out that this could be translated, your faith has saved you. The term translated made well is the Greek word sozo, which literally means to save. It can return, refer to salvation from some physical experience of suffering, or it can refer to salvation from the spiritual consequences of sin. The actual phrase here, your faith has made you well, in Greek is the exact same phrase that appears in Luke chapter 8 and verse 48, where Jesus told that woman who touched the hem of his garment in order to be healed, he said to her, your faith has made you well. It's the same phrase that appears in Luke chapter 18 and verse 42, where Jesus told a blind man who begged him to have mercy on him, your faith 
has made you well. In both of those passages, translators have concluded that the salvation being referenced is from the physical suffering inflicted by a debilitating medical condition. But here's what's interesting. This same phrase in Greek also appears in Luke chapter 7 and verse 50. And if you studied with us last week, you may recall that that's the story of a woman who penitently washed the and anointed the feet of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 7 and verse 50, Jesus looked at her and said, Your faith has saved you. And in that instance, saved is not a reference to physical healing. It's a reference to spiritual cleansing. Because just two verses earlier, in Luke chapter 7 and verse 48, Jesus told this woman, Your sins are forgiven. Now why bring all that up? I want you to think for a moment, as Jesus speaks to this one leper and says, your faith has made you well, what is he referring to? Definitely he's referring to physical healing because the leper's cleansed. But is it possible that he's also referring to spiritual cleansing? See, you can't forget that if you go back to Luke chapter 5 and verse 20, Jesus pronounced forgiveness for the paralytic's sins, saying, your sins are forgiven you. When he saw the faith of the paralytic's friends as they lowered him through that roof. They didn't bring him to Jesus for salvation from sins. They brought him to Jesus for salvation from paralysis. But on that occasion... Jesus offered physical and spiritual salvation once he saw the faith that brought the paralytic to him. Maybe, just maybe, both are being offered here to the leper as well. As one commentator pointed out, it may be that Jesus recognized in this man the faith that issues in salvation, and so he sent him off with the assurance that it was well with his soul as it was with his body. Maybe, just maybe, we should learn something about the relationship between gratitude and salvation. See, if you turn over to the book of Romans, and you look at verses, chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, you'll find out that failing to give thanks results in idolatry or contributes to idolatry. In Romans chapter 1, Paul condemned those individuals who had exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. He indicated that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against such individuals and indicated that they are affiliated with all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. In other words, this is not the company you want to be keeping. But here's what's interesting. If you look specifically at Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, Paul summarizes how people get to the point that they distance themselves from God and find themselves awaiting his wrath. And in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, he says, Although they knew God, 
They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were dark. Ultimately, this passage indicates that the ungodly will incur God's wrath because they rejected him and replaced him with someone or something else as the subject of their worship. But how did they get there? How did they get to the point that they replaced and rejected God Almighty? Well, verse 21 indicates that they got to that point by refusing to honor him or give thanks to him. In other words, the absence of gratitude contributed to their spiritual demise. What what can be said about your level of gratitude today? Are you skipping Thanksgiving? Let me close out with one final story. On Friday evenings, about sunset, on a stretch along the eastern Florida seacoast, one could regularly see an old man walking, carrying a large bucket of shrimp until his death in 1973. As he walked, seagulls would flock to him and he would feed them shrimp from his bucket. Then he would thank them. To the casual observer, his actions would be met with some mixture of bemusement, ridicule, and pity. But there was a reason he did this. The old man was Captain Eddie Rickenbacker, who was an ace pilot and Medal of Honor recipient during World War I. Thereafter, he became a successful entrepreneur. But in October of 1942, Captain Rickenbacker was commissioned to travel throughout the Pacific Theater to review living conditions and military operations, as well as to deliver a message to General Douglas MacArthur on behalf of the president. After visiting several bases in Hawaii, Rickenbacker boarded a B-17 Flying Fortress bound for the Southern Pacific. A malfunction of navigational instrument caused the aircraft to stray hundreds of miles off course to the point that they ran out of fuel and were forced to ditch the plane in the ocean. That resulted in him and those on board having to survive adrift. For 24 days, Rickenbacker and the other survivors drifted on life rafts. After three days, they ran out of food. But on the eighth day, a seagull landed on Rickenbacker's head. He managed to catch that seagull, which they then ate portions of and used other portions for fishing bait. And that's how they survived 24 days adrift in the Southern Pacific. Overcoming starvation just long enough for a Navy patrol boat or patrol plane to finally spot them and rescue them. And so Captain Rickenbacker never forgot that bird whose sacrifice meant salvation to him and those with him. And that's why he went out every Friday evening to feed the seagulls and say thank you. 
we've received a far greater sacrifice and a far greater salvation. And the point is that gratitude is an attitude that must be employed in our lives at all times because of what we have received at Calvary. Thanksgiving should not be a seasonal attitude. It should be a permanent one. Because the Lord deserves and desires our gratitude for all that He's done for us. May we always be the one and never the nine. Because what's been done for us deserves more thanksgiving than we'll be able to give in this lifetime. So as you enter this week, and you enjoy some turkey, some dressing, hopefully some deviled eggs and banana pudding, hint, hint, hope you won't forget what you're really thankful for. But most importantly, I hope it's not limited to this week. Because the one thing we need to be sure of is that we never skip Thanksgiving. As we're gathered here today, if you're just becoming aware of the sacrifice we're talking about that Christ made for you, the, the sacrifice of going to the cross and dying for your sins, because that's, that's the only way they can be atoned for, and if you hear of that sacrifice and you've never allowed His blood to cover your sins, then we invite you to allow that to happen by confessing your faith that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God, by repenting of your sins, and by being immersed in water so that those sins can be washed away. But we also invite you, if you're struggling with the right attitude, if you're struggling to show gratitude where it should be shown, you're not living a life that reflects an expression of thanksgiving for all that God has done for you, then we also invite you to come. And we ask you to do that right now.